I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 1, and each week we provide an outline for the message, and those here in person, we had those available at the main doors when you come in, those who are watching by live stream, you can click on the outline button next to or underneath your media player. Now before we have our message uh, today, I have a couple of uh, prayer issues and we're going to pause and pray about those. Uh, I received word yesterday that Glenn and Joe Crock's father, who's been in hospice care, uh, may pass soon. In fact, they thought he may pass during the night, but I've not gotten word that that, that happened. We've been also praying for Emily Rapp's sister, Gail. She's battled cancer for the better part of two years. She passed away yesterday evening. So we're going to take time to pray for these families and to ask the Lord's help as we look at God's word together. So let's bow before the Lord. Father, we thank you that we can bring our requests before you with the full confidence that you hear us and that you are intimately involved in the affairs of your people. We ask you to comfort Mr. Croc during, during what appear to be these final days, perhaps ours. We thank you that Glenn, Glenn and Joe's love for him extends beyond meeting physical needs to especially addressing spiritual needs by modeling and offering the gospel. We pray that it has been or will be received so that he has what we all need, the blood of Jesus covering all our sin and Jesus' life that provides the perfect robe of righteousness that your holiness requires. Comfort our brothers, we ask, and cause them to lean on you in their time of trial. And Father, we thank you for your mercy toward Gail these nearly two years and now bringing her to the end of her journey and home with you. We thank you that she passed peacefully, without pain in the presence of family, and is now in your presence. We ask you to comfort her family, Emily, Gail's husband, Jean, daughter, Abby, who attends here with her family, and Gail's other children and grandchildren. We thank you now for this opportunity to open your word and again learn of you and how to live before you and please you. Use the wisdom from your word to instruct us and change us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today is our third message in our series in the book of Proverbs. Now, the book of Proverbs can be a confusing book because it seems to be a haphazard collection of material, and so it's hard to put its message together. But thankfully, it does have a structure that is not readily apparent when you just read through the book. The book of Proverbs is actually a collection of separate collections of wisdom material that were brought together over time. And there are seven of these collections, as I've said the last couple of weeks, that later became the book of Proverbs. We have what we are in now, the, the introduction that goes through chapter 9. And then when we get to chapter 10, there will be a section called the Proverbs of Solomon. And then another section, beginning in chapter 22, the sayings of the wise, and then additional sayings of the wise that came from a separate collection, more Proverbs of Solomon, the sayings of Agur, and the sayings of Lemuel. Now, we're obviously in the introduction to Proverbs, and we're going to be for some time because it goes all the way up till chapter 10. Now, this introduction from chapters, nine, uh, chapters 1 through 9, though, has 10 lectures in it. Ten lectures from a father to a, a son, and then two interludes. It has a total of 12 lessons in these nine chapters. 
Now, last week we saw from verses 8 through 19 the first of the ten lessons that this father taught to his son, telling him of the benefits of a life that's characterized by wisdom. And now we are going to continue in verse 20, and this father is still instructing his son, but he does so without the direct address of last week. In last week's lesson, starting in verse 8, he says, listen, my son. And then he says again, my son, in verse 10, and another time in verse 15. But here now, the message is broadened to beyond just the son to a universal classroom with principles that apply to everybody. And that's why in your outline, each of the four points contains the word everyone. This father wants to show his son that what he's teaching is not just something that you learn in homeschool or parochial school or Sunday school, but rather in, in life school, and it reaches everyone. But what others do with it affects you because you're now going to have to observe those who follow what they're told and those who do not, and you will have to choose wisely with regard to who you're going to follow. So, son, let's take a look at what everybody learns and the various responses that they have to it. The first point in your outline, I say this, wisdom calls to everyone. The father's teaching inside the home now takes, in effect, a field trip. He says, son, let's get out of the house and see wisdom do its work in the world. And this is the first of those two interludes that I mentioned in these nine chapters. So you have the ten lessons and the two interludes, and this is the first of those two interludes. Verse 20, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. Now, wisdom calls aloud and raises its voice for a couple of reasons. One, there's a passion about the message. So the raising of the voice and the calling aloud because people need to hear it. But secondly, the place where it happens is the public square. And so the message needs to be heard above all the other stuff that's going on, above the din and the bustle of daily life that can distract attention. What's happening in the public square, the broad area that offered room for commercial trade and public meetings in contrast to an ancient city's narrow streets. In those days, a plaza could be located just inside the gate or even between the outer gate and the intergate, inner gate to the city or at the head of several streets. But notice here the change in pronoun for this interlude lesson. It says, she raises her voice in verse 20, and she cries out, and she makes her speech in verse 21. Now, in a few weeks, we're going to be introduced to what the book of Proverbs calls the adulterous woman in chapters 5 and 7. And this alluring woman attempts to draw you in by her sensuality, but we're learning here right away in chapter 1 that you, son... You, everyone, have already for you an attractive woman available in wisdom. And if you follow this woman, and thus the reason that it's called Lady Wisdom, she, if you follow her, you won't follow the deceptive woman. If you befriend her, you won't be drawn away to the seductive woman or any of the other rivals to wisdom. 
It's all a matter of what you're attracted to. Wisdom is attractive to those who cultivate a desire for it. So verse 21 says, On top of the wall she cries out, at the city gates she makes her speech. So in addition to the city square, wisdom cries out from a couple of other of the most advantageous points in order to be seen and to be heard on top of the wall and at the city gate. At the city gate means you're confronted with wisdom before you enter the place where sinful, unhelpful things take place. The gate in those days was not just an entrance, but was also the place where leaders of the city would sit on stone benches and they would adjudicate and discuss local affairs. Verses 20 and 21 are saying this. They're saying that wisdom is ubiquitous. It's all around you and therefore available to be heeded by everyone. Now you know that people have some knowledge of the right path because first and foremost, God says so. Romans chapter 2, when those who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their, their hearts. And so we know that wisdom regarding right and wrong is available to all people because Scripture says it, but we also know, we also know that by the measures that people take to avoid what's right and to conceal what's wrong. Children hide and sneak to do wrong because they have a sense of wrong. Sexual activity among teens is a big issue, or it, or it used to be, before the culture just finally gave in and said, well, everybody's doing it, so. And many have advocated that sex education is the, the solution. But education on anatomy and biology does not address the moral aspect. And we know that young people understand the moral aspect because they hide. (laughs) Or they used to before, again, we just threw in the towel on it. In the words of that great theologian Bob Seeger, they're working on their night moves, and we'd steal away every chance we could to the back room, the alley, and the trusty woods. Or if you need another great theologian, Eric Clapton says, We're going to let it all hang down. We're going to chug a lug and shout. We're going to stimulate some action. We're going to get some satisfaction. We're going to find out what it's all about. But he prefaces all of that with the words, after midnight. After midnight, we're going to do all these things. Have you ever noticed that bars and saloons don't want you to know what's going on inside or even who's there? No windows, few lights. Now, it's not because I frequent, I've, I've heard. <laughs> okay. No windows, dark, few lights. That's actually like a number of Chinese restaurants I've been to as well. <laughs> but <laughs> they don't want you to know what you're eating, apparently. And then there's this concept in the law called consciousness of, of guilt. It's a concept that says a person demonstrates they know they're doing wrong if they take actions afterward to conceal it. So whether before or after, there are many things that people do that show that wisdom has indeed confronted them through their conscience, but also through their environment, seeing others who haven't gone the path that they're contemplating. And so wisdom calls 
And wisdom calls to everyone. Because everyone needs that wisdom. Secondly, I say, though, wisdom patiently calls to everyone. Verse 22, how long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Now here you have three categories of people, the simple, mockers, and fools. The simple are how we're born. The word is also translated the gullible. It's someone who has to check things out rather than taking the word of the wise regarding what is good or bad for them, often from the wise's own experience. Remember, the, the simple or the gullible believe that experience is the best teacher, so they need to get the experience. They believe experience is the be best teacher rather than what I said last week. Experience is the best teacher, especially when it's someone else's experience. That's the best way to get the experience from somebody else so you don't have to. But the simple, the gullible say, no, I got I to gotta do it myself. I can't take the word of the wise for it. And they're pleased, according to verse 22, with this state of affairs because they, it says, love their simple ways. The word for love here means to perceive something to be desirable. And so you go after it, you seek it, you run after it. They love, they desire being simple, gullible. You could perhaps say they like being happy-go-lucky. They like going with, going with the flow. The important thing about these people is that they're uncommitted. And they like it that way. They've not aggressively and finally rejected the wisdom that they've heard and or seen, but they're not committed to it either. The mocker, on the other hand, is full-on hostile toward wisdom and delights in being so, loves to mock the wise. The fool in this context is one who hates godly knowledge because he doesn't need it. He knows how the world works. He doesn't need you to tell him. But the simple are those who have not gone as far as the mocker and the fool, but the mocker and the fool are mentioned here in order to warn the simple. Listen, this is what's next for you. And so it's time. No, really, it's, it's past time for you to make a commitment to the Lord and His wisdom. And so it's calling on you. But how long? And for the mocker and the fool, I'm still saying, how long? And that's the path that you're on if you remain uncommitted. I'm asking you how long now, and if you don't turn around, down the road, I'll be doing the same thing, asking you how long, but this time you've moved to the mocker-fool category. The arts are filled with stories that describe a young person going out to find themselves, experience life, see what it's like outside the cocoon of their upbringing. There's the Lord's wisdom, and there's the wisdom of footloose. <laughs> you can fly if you'd only cut loose, footloose. Kick off your, now notice, your Sunday shoes. Kick off the Sunday stuff and go and experience yourself. Now, my, my movie references are, are pretty much limited to the time when my girls were little 
You guys have heard me say, if it wasn't on C-SPAN, I, I pretty much haven't seen it. But we watch Lion King a bunch of times over the years. And Simba is out on his own, but he's still, while he's out on his own, he's hearing the voice of what he's been taught. And there's this one scene where he's lying on the, on the ground, where he and his new friends have encamped. They're looking up at the stars. They're sharing their theories about what the stars are. And when Simba tells them what he was taught, they laugh uncontrollably at how foolish that is. And then he nervously laughs with them. The nervousness is important because it means he's not fully rejected his teaching, but at the same time he wants to fit in with the new crowd. Now, I'm not saying the quality of Mufasa's wisdom is comparable to the Lord's, but the phenomenon is the same. What you're taught and then you leave to find yourself, but it stays with you at least at first. For a while, the, the young, simple, gullible carry the wisdom they've received with them, and so when they encounter something outside it, they dip their toe in to test the water, but they still retain this, this thought of, what would Dad think? What would, what would Mom think? What would those who have taught me and modeled before me think? But over time, you get used to going to town every Saturday and being in church every Sunday, and then eventually it's town every Saturday, church some Sundays. And then Saturday only because really who believes that stuff? And that's a scary prospect for parents. It's a scary prospect for churches who love their young people and want to see them follow the Lord more than anything. And so in re response to that, we sometimes try to remove the possibility of a choice in the wrong direction by making the choice for them. Parents, we try to make the choice for them by, by controlling and sheltering. But every person must make their choice. God has no grandchildren. Nobody is in God's family by virtue of being related to somebody else in God's family. God has no grandchildren, only children born again into his family. So some parents and churches then become too restrictive, thinking that our job is to keep them from seeing what's in the world. Others see the problem with that, but they're too permissive. They say, well, they have to learn sooner or later, so they may as well experience some things. The proper approach, I'm convinced, is what I've called over the years in teaching on parenting, controlled exposure. It's controlled by the wisdom of the parents. But it is exposure. It does recognize that a child is going to have to see what is there and, and live in the world, though it's our prayer that they will not be of the world. Controlled exposure that teaches them all of their lives by word and deed and then gradually gives them the, the freedom to apply to their world the wisdom that you've given. Our job is to supply for them something better than the world. So that when, not if, they see the world, they know they have seen the beauty of the alternative. They may not choose what we give them. We can't guarantee that. But they will have to overcome what we've given them. 
and what they've seen in us and heard from us and then reject it. When it works that way, as it often does, often but not invariably does, often it works that a child has grown up, as Proverbs 22.6 says, as we will see in a few months, if you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he does not depart from it. When it works that way, as it often but not invariably does, when a person has the option to follow the crowd but rejects it because they've learned something better, that, friends, is a beautiful thing. Ordinary conversion is a beautiful thing. You know, most conversions to the Lord are of the ordinary variety, not spectacular. It's not spectacular because the convert never went to the pig pen of the prodigal. We tend to focus on the spectacular conversions. Families, friends, let's pray that we have some non-spectacular conversions, lots of them, where the child learned wisdom and stayed within it. Thank God that he saves the prodigal, but Proverbs warns the simple to never become the prodigal. There is hope for the simple that the mocker and the fool have decidedly rejected. But let's also not give the simple too much credit, <laughs> simply because they've not gone as far as others. The truth is, all the while one remains uncommitted to the Lord, they are rejecting the Lord. Even though unlike others, they still have the tug of conscience. And that's because being uncommitted works when the matter at hand has many legitimate options. But being uncommitted does not work when there's only one legitimate option. If you're deciding what car to buy, you can be uncommitted for a good while or maybe forever since there's not just one option. But with the Lord, there is only one legitimate option. And every day that you treat him as one option among many, you are in fact rejecting him. And that's why Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. I am the measure by which everything and everyone is evaluated. And so to treat me as just one dish in the cafeteria line is to mistreat me and misunderstand who I am and what I am providing for you. And that's why verse 23 says, Repent at my rebuke. And the rebuke is the sermon that goes for four verses from verses 24 to 27. Now it doesn't sound that way with how the New International Version has translated verses 23 and 24. But along with Hebrew scholar Bruce Waltke, I believe the word then at the beginning of the next line in verse 23 should, should be see or behold as it is in the New American Standard Bible. So it's repent at my rebuke. See or behold, I will pour out my thoughts to you. I'll make known to you my teachings. And then the sermon starts in verse 24 with since you refuse to listen, the word but is not in the original Hebrew. And so the idea is this, you're in danger, simple one. And you have been so for far too long. Repent now by hearing my words that I'm going to give you 
in verses 24 to 27. In those words, I'm going to pour out my thoughts to you and make known to you my teachings. When it says I'm going to pour out my, my thoughts to you, it's like water from a fountain that come in such a way that I'll make known to you my teachings. The desire is that what is said will be so internalized that those who hear it will never forget it. But when the threatened judgment falls, it will be too late to respond. And that's why the wisdom calls patiently to everyone. It also urgently, I say in your outline, calls to everyone. Now we'll cover these two points a bit more quickly. But here's the urgent message, verse 24. Since you refuse to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. You see this is just coming one statement, one phrase after another to try to instill the urgency. This lady wisdom who's preaching this sermon is no gentle persuader. She shouts and she pleads, she scolds, she reasons, she threatens, she warns, she even laughs. This is, this is pulpit bashing. This is hellfire preaching. Notice how many times the word that when is used in verses 26 and 27. When disaster strikes and when calamity overtakes and when disaster sweeps over you and when distress and trouble overwhelm. It's when, not if these things happen. Now this is not when God says this will be the response. Once you get that far, when all of that has happened and you have blown off over a long period of time with my patient pleading, the voice of wisdom, when you get here, this is what happens. But this is not God taking pleasure in their downfall. Rather, this is the natural consequence of their choice. That is, if you reject wisdom's call, when you realize the error of your way and it's too late, you're still going to internally hear wisdom. But now, not in an inviting way, but in a tormenting way. You're headed in the direction of trouble unless you turn, unless you repent. And when it happens, my voice will haunt you such that you will hear what you had shut out before and the memory and the words will deride you as a fool and will mock you as once you had mocked it. How many people have come to the end of their road and they say, what a fool I have been. And they can hear and they can remember all of the things now that they refuse to heed. Wisdom calls to everyone. Patiently. Urgently. And wisdom warns everyone. Verse 28. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but they will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways 
and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. The warning is this. There is an end. And it's a disastrous end. You've not believed me when I told you, but instead we're fooled by appearances rather than reality. You ignored the wisdom of, not a biblical proverb, but nevertheless a true proverb, all that glitters is not gold. And so you went for the appearances rather than what the reality is, which I tried to tell you over and over again. I told you the reality, but you believed the packaging. And the packaging did not show you what's really inside and did not show you what it will ultimately do to you, and so you told you chose it instead of me, instead of wisdom. There comes a time then when my voice is no longer heard and there is no longer hope. Hmm. But here's the great news. That situation is not true of you, is not true of you watching on live stream. Assuming that you are here, assuming that you are hearing by your own volition, then you've not completely foreclosed on the choice that you need to make. And we'll give you opportunity to make that choice in just a minute. The summary then of this message from wisdom to everyone as in the title of today's message at the top of your outline, is that there are two ways to live. And you see that summary in verse 32. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear or harm. Your take-home truth is this. Wisdom is destiny. If you have it, it determines your destiny. If you reject it, it determines your destiny. Now, what do you do then? Well, what you do is you receive wisdom. You receive God's wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of that wisdom. And so now you repent, you turn. I'm going to go your way, God, no longer my way. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to take what you offer. And the reason that you were going in the wrong direction to begin with, the reason that the natural state of humanity is that we are simple and gullible and we, and we deceptively believe that we need to try things our own way and we can't take anybody else's word for it. The reason we do that is because we come into this world with a defect. A sin defect that makes us the simple and the gullible that will ultimately become the mocking and the foolish, if not arrested. And so that's got to be corrected first. But God gives you the way to do that through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's come to pay the penalty for your simplicity, your gullibility, your sinfulness of rejecting him through all of that. So you recognize that you're a sinner. You realize that, realize that you're a sinner. Recognize that Christ died on the cross for your sin. And then you repent, which means, as we saw here in this sermon, verse 24, it means I'm going to turn, I'm going to go your way, no longer my way. 
you receive Jesus Christ into your life. And the great news is, if you're hearing this, and you've, of your own volition, decided to tune in, in person or by live stream, then you're not the fool or the mocker just yet. But if you continue to reject, God promises that's the end of that road. So we're going to bow together. We're going to thank the Lord for His wisdom. And I urge you to acknowledge your sin before the Lord if you've never trusted Him. And to say, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for my sin. I ask you to apply what He did to me. And I give you my life. I'm going to go your way. No longer go my way. Let's bow together before the Lord. Father, we thank you again for your book of wisdom, and we thank you for telling us the way life really is and the way we really are. That we do have this pull to reject what we have been taught because we believe we have to experience it on our own. Lord, very often you cause those who have had wisdom modeled before them and taught to them to return to that wisdom. We thank you for that. But Lord, it's not guaranteed. And we are in danger every hour, every day, that we're rejecting you by our lack of commitment. And so for those who fit into that category now, whether young, middle-aged, whether old, you're offering this opportunity. And you plead, as Lady Wisdom does, you plead patiently, but you're pleading urgently because the end of this road is certain. And so, Lord, I ask you to move upon hearts cause some to turn to you, to turn around 180 degrees from the road they are going to go in your direction. Lord, we will give you the praise and the honor for what you accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together for our closing song.